Noticing my gaze directed inquiringly at the partition of glass and varnished wood, Miss Blank was good enough to say, encouragingly, "'Only Mr. Jermyn and Mr. Stoner in the parlour, with another gentleman I've never seen before.' I moved towards the parlour door. A voice discoursing on the other side, it was but a matchboard partition, rose so loudly that the concluding words became quite plain in all their atrocity. "'That fellow Wilmot fairly dashed her brains out, and a good job too.' This inhuman sentiment, since there was nothing profane or improper in it, failed to do as much as to check the slight yawn Miss Blank was achieving behind her hand, and she remained gazing fixedly at the window-panes which streamed with rain. As I opened the parlour door, the same voice went on in the same cruel strain. "'I was glad when I heard she got the knock from somebody at last. Sorry enough for poor Wilmot, though. That man and I used to be chums at one time.' Of course, that was the end of him. A clear case if ever there was one. No way out of it. None at all. The voice belonged to the gentleman Miss Blank had never seen before. He straddled his long legs on the hearthrug. Jermyn, leaning forward, held his pocket handkerchief spread out before the grate. He looked back dismally over his shoulder, and as I slipped behind one of the little wooden tables, I nodded to him. On the other side of the fire, imposingly calm and large, sat Mr. Stoner, jammed tight into a capacious Windsor armchair. There was nothing small about him but his short white side-whiskers. Yards and yards of extra superfine blue cloth, made up into an overcoat, reposed on a chair by his side. And he must have just brought some liner from sea, because another chair was smothered under his black waterproof, ample as a pall, and made of threefold oiled silk, double-stitched throughout. A man's handbag of the usual size looked like a child's toy on the floor near his feet. I did not nod to him. He was too big to be nodded to in that parlour. He was a senior Trinity pilot, and condescended to take his turn in the cutter only during the summer months. He had been many times in charge of royal yachts in and out of Port Victoria. Besides, it's no use nodding to a monument and he was like one. He didn't speak, he didn't budge. He just sat there, holding his handsome old head up, immovable, and almost bigger than life. It was extremely fine. Mr. Stoner's presence reduced poor old Jermyn to a mere shabby wisp of a man, and made the talkative stranger in tweeds on the hearthrug look absurdly boyish. The latter must have been a few years over thirty, and was certainly not the sort of individual that gets debashed at the sound of his own voice, because, gathering me in, as it were, by a friendly glance, he kept it going without a check. "'I was glad of it,' he repeated emphatically. "'You may be surprised at it, but then you haven't gone through the experience I've had of her. I can tell you, it was something to remember. Of course, I got off scot-free myself, as you can see. She did her best to break up my pluck for me, though. She jolly nearly drove as fine a fellow as ever lived into a madhouse. What do you say to that, eh?' Not an eyelid twitched in Mr. Stoner's enormous face. Monumental. The speaker looked straight into my eyes. It used to make me sick to think of her going about the world murdering people. Jermyn approached the handkerchief a little nearer to the grate and groaned. It was simply a habit he had. I've seen her once, he declared with mournful indifference. She had a house. The stranger in tweeds turned to stare down at him, surprised. She had three houses, he corrected authoritatively, but Jermyn was not to be contradicted. 
She had a house, I say, he repeated with dismal obstinacy. A great big ugly white thing. You could see it from miles away, sticking up. So you could, assented the other readily. It was old Colchester's notion, though he was always threatening to give her up. He couldn't stand her racket any more, he declared. It was too much of a good thing for him. He would wash his hands of her if he never got hold of another, and so on. I dare say he would have chucked her, only, it may surprise you, his missus wouldn't hear of it. Funny, eh? But with women you never know how they'll take a thing. And Mrs Colchester, with her moustaches and big eyebrows, set up for being as strong-minded as they make them. She used to walk about in a brown silk dress, with a great gold cable flopping about her bosom. You should have heard her snapping out, Rubbish! or Stuff and nonsense! I dare say she knew and she was well off.